Incoming transmission from an unknown source. It seems to be urgent. Patching them through. They're calling themselves the Holonet Marauders. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Holonet Marauders podcast. I'm AJ, joined here by Jamie and Matt, my bombad Jedi survivor pals. There we go. There we go. That was, that was uh, really good. We have a yeah, great, great. <laughs> great discussion and interview planned today. Uh, we're joined with the lead writer of Jedi Survivor, a game we just think is phenomenal. We enjoyed, we enjoyed it so much. It was one of the things we were looking forward to for like since Jedi Fallen Order. Um, but yeah, we're joined here by Danny Homan. Thank you so much for joining us, Danny. Uh, how are you doing yeah, today? Thanks for having me. Doing great. Yeah. Excited to be here. Yeah. So I guess we'll just hop right into it. Um, you know, how... How did you get to the point? Obviously, you're a video game writer. How did you get to the point of, you know, being uh, assigned to be the lead writer for Jedi Survivor? It's a wild and twisted story. Buckle up. <laughs> um, so right. in my 20s, I wanted to be a novelist. That was my dream job. Um, I got a gig teaching English in Tokyo, uh, which is a novelist dream job because I would be making good money to have uh, a bunch of time to work on my first novel. Um, this was during the tsunami, unfortunately, of 2011. So all those uh, dreams evaporated. I moved back home. I had a girlfriend. We broke up. Uh, and I was sitting uh, in my parents' house um, um, and going, well, what do I do with my life now? Uh, novelist dreams shattered. And um, I pivoted into game writing and kind of just threw myself into it, uh, studied design, studied some art, learned some basic coding, even though I'm a really garbage coder. Um, and just kind of um, decided to like pivot careers. So I ended up um, working with Warren Spector, the um, kind of famed game designer behind Deus Ex and Epic Mickey and Thief. Um, worked at Gearbox for a number of years on Borderlands and Tiny Tina's Wonderlands and some other projects. And um, I'd, I was there for six years. And um, after, that's a long time to be at any studio. And I uh, was talking with my wife um, and uh, kind of just discussing the next steps of my career and we had both played Fallen Order together and my wife just fell in love with Marin in the most incredible I mean she turned to me I remember when we were playing was like this is the best written female character in video games ever and I was like yeah pretty much um, we just both loved we were just big fans of Fallen Order that came out of nowhere uh, from for me I just you know I just thought it was incredible and so I said, well, I want to work there. I wonder if they're working on a sequel. Um, and I really just reached out to the narrative director at the time, Aaron Contreras, and said, hey, I really like your work. I want to work with you. And so wow. here we are. So, you know, sometimes uh, you just kind of should uh, kind of ask what, ask for what, you, what you'd like in life. And it turns out every once in a while. <laughs> That's incredible. I that mean, to be, playing, to be playing Fallen Order, and next thing you know, like you're going to be writing the sequel, which is just... Uh, yeah, right? That's awesome. Um, That's a dream. Yeah. So with the game itself, I know we'll, we'll get to Marin, of course, um, fan favorite character, definitely of ours too. And uh, other fan favorites, BD1, which I think Jamie has the little Lego behind her there. Oh, yeah. But uh, so I th you mentioned a while ago, I, don't, I, I did research on you in preparation for this. And you mentioned <laughs> that um, BD and Cal have this cornerstone relationship, you know, and that's such a big part of these games because that's, that's who you travel along with. You're always with BD1 and obviously you're always Cal what went into developing that relationship further in this game? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, um, you know, Cal has every reason to be pessimistic about the entire state of the galaxy from his traumatic childhood through the events of Fallen Order. And, um, 
yet, you know, somehow he's got this kind of sliver of hope within him that he'll be able to live up to uh, his past mentors' expectations and he'll be able to protect the ones he loves. And in the dark times, in this this point, nine BBY, give or take, um, that's almost impossible. <laughs> if your eyes are open, just, you know, the empire is just relentlessly marching on. And um, BD is that spark of hope for Cal. Like for me, unquestionably, I think um, they're certainly companions and friends, um, but BD retains this kind of almost childlike sense of curiosity and hope and goodness, which um, is like, I don't know how Cal would survive without him. You know? And so, yeah. um, you know, as, you're, as, as we're kind of thinking about the relationship, um, there are times where Beatty's worried about Cal um, in, a, in the way that like uh, a wonderfully loyal dog would be worried about their ma master going astray. But at the end of the day, like they have each other and that's like the core family and kind of everything springs from that relationship. I love, I love having Beatty there um, just through all of it. And like, I know early on when you fight ninth sister was one of the big moments of kind of Beatty checking on him. Cause that's such yeah. a dark moment of uh and that that's that's really where we see like whoa this is a different cow from we saw in the first game uh beheading someone and then bd's like hey buddy are you good and then they move on with it um jamie As i know, would, you know yeah exactly yeah, you good? Like, yeah. hey you good buddy <laughs> pat on the shoulder and it's great and then... because he checks on him multiple times throughout the game yeah. and this and i have to admit this is the game where i really felt like bd was a character that i like actually could tell what he was saying like half the time his yeah. beeps and boops like just totally translated for me to be like oh wow yeah yeah that's, that's a good a point, point bd yeah, yeah. um so i, yeah, I, he's, I, just, I oh, he's just such a valuable part of like just um our core cast of characters and there's so many moments and scenes where bd is like the conscience of of cal or or wakes cal up from something um there's that one of those moments early on where cal has made his way to kobo he's reunited with Grease. Grease has tried to get him to slow down and uh Grease kind of you know notices that cal is just um relentlessly marching onward and is going to go back to doing the same old um fight against the empire and kind of probably destroying himself in the process and bd jumps out in front of cal and says whoa slow down like this is your friend he's trying to help you and i just think that's uh like we all need friends like that right yeah oh, of course absolutely and you know droid companions are just uh as important as ever you know that one uh that one jedi that was buried with his gonk droid on jedda that i could never i could not get enough of i was literally like texting when i got to that point because they played this before i did but i got to that point i was texting them all caps like oh my god jedi buried with his gonk droid i cannot get over that like so i was sad. freaking out i mean we're we're huge gonk fans so of course of course <laughs> yeah who is it <laughs> i don't blame that jedi i'd be buried with my gonk droid too if i had one there um yeah, so I, obviously BD1 is super important for Cal, but um, the entire crew from the Mantis is like obviously super important to him as well. So I think you, you already mentioned Marin and how like that was like a big drive for you to even like want to write these stories. Um, when you were when you started on with this, was there always a plan to make that Marin and Cal romance? Because there was always something there in the first game, but then it was expanded on so much. And I, I am so happy that it happened. Um, but yeah, how was that entire process of really just building that relationship? Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, you know, being such a huge fan of Marin and, and the voice act, uh, the, the actor Tina, um, it was an incredible opportunity for me. I joined the team a little bit after pre-production. So a lot of those like core ideas of kind of how they would end up um, um, had already kind of been discussed and kind of figured out. I think what was really lovely for me as we were kind of writing 
the key cinematics of the game is, you know, just this, these two characters who have suffered so much, whose childhoods were stolen from them, um, who have had to, who have no natural family still living. And so they have to discover family amongst just survivors in the galaxy. And I just think that story is so timeless and that um, that intimacy, like you said, it, it, it exists regardless of whether they were going to be, you know, in a romance or not. And I just, there's a kinship to their characters that made them really easy and fun to write together. Yeah, and the parallels between like the Night Sisters and the Jedi being both these like orders and and both of them thinking they're like the last of their kind. I mean, that's it's such a clever parallel that I never would have thought of on my own if it weren't for Fallen Order, I have to say. It's also um, just really cool to think about with the Night Sisters and their kind of history of, of their magic and how it's derived and, and you know, for Cal, someone who's using the light side of the force to meet a night sister, like, you know, it, it complicates and expands your worldview of, of the force and kind of how it exists, which I think is also just a really cool opportunity. Yeah, you know, for sure. And, you know, speaking of that romance, a big theme in this, in this game was the like attachment versus love and how, you know, the characters kind of balance that. Um, and I thought, you know, it was a great job with, uh Dagon with you know Bode with Cal you're kind of like there's these characters that have already fallen off the edge and you have Cal just kind of teetering there like he's getting close obviously by the end of the game we're using the dark side um which was very like troubling when the first time the game told me to use the dark side I was like I, I don't wanna but it wouldn't <laughs> let me go if I didn't. so I'm like all right all right fine. um but how did you you know how did you kind of reach that you know because uh, it's such a cool exploration of one of the core tenets of Star Wars, you know, attachment. Um, how did you kind of reach that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think attachment and your relationships and how they steer you to various choices is kind of like part of the core theme of, of the game, right? It's, um, you know, when you take the case of like Dagon, um, there are circumstances in which he would not have turned to the dark side of the force. And there's, there's ways in which you can imagine he and Santaria Cree and their friendship um, pulling him back. Um, and so you see those parallels throughout with Bode and his um, his history. And you know, I think part of kind of what we play with is this idea of who surrounds you, who, who you trust, uh, who you consider a friend and like what the depth of that friendship is because you know we all have like surface level friends and then we have those friends who will tell us like when we're really going astray and that relationship can be more powerful than anything in the galaxy really yeah and it's oh when cal calls uh himself uh bode's best friend when when, when he's he's looking uh, for the doll uh and cod is like watching him like who are you oh that just it killed me it killed me i know that was a Bode's... hard scene to write <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I bet really yeah. there were a lot of moments in this game that i was like oh that, that had to be hard that had to be hard i'm i'm really really glad Kata was real like at, at a certain point early in the game the way that Bode was like talking I was like oh this would really suck if he's just like lying the entire time and like she doesn't exist and so when she did actually show up I was like whoo but but then it turned out kind of worse um <laughs> so. yeah he wasn't fully lying but it was uh it was yeah. something <laughs> Bode was such a great character and it um it was so heartbreaking to find out that he he was bad um you know working for the empire but uh, one of my questions I had here, and I don't really know if you can answer it, but I was I was so hoping that that Cal and Marin could go and try to plead with Bo, uh, Bode and save him. But like, was there ever a, an ending where he did live? Um, 
I have to know. Not that not that I know of. No, I think that was always the plan. And, I, and you know, it's it's funny you, you mentioned that. Like the the challenge of writing that final scene, like uh, gameplay before the boss battle on Tandalore, is that um, there are valid points on both sides, right? And I think like when you when you get to like really rich storytelling, there's you know, Bode, you called him a bad person, but like he philosophically is trying to protect his daughter. And his history is one of distrust and of fear um, and of kind of, um, so, so like from his perspective, like when he asks at the very end, um, he says to Cal something effective, like, are you gonna be the one to protect my little girl when the empire comes? Like, he's not wrong. Like that's yeah, yeah. a totally valid question. And so, you know, when Cal and, and Marin are kind of heading there, it's like we really tried to hit both sides of this and this understanding of like fear and how it drives people's decisions. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know we've mentioned um, Dagon a bit and just the, the High Republic. We have to get to the High Republic. Yes, we have to get to the High Republic. Uh, <laughs> Jamie, oh I, know, I know you yeah. had a question. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like, in the moment like the trailers like first dropped for us and like people saw that there was a High Republic Jedi in it everyone was like losing their mind um we did not expect this much higher public to be in this game though since this is this brand new era of star wars within the past three years or so um what was that like working with everything with the higher public and working with like that team as well yeah i mean it was you know it was just an incredible opportunity i um i will admit that um joining when i joined respawn um Probably my Star Wars knowledge was much less than y'all collectively, <laughs> and no, I, I do a lot of catch up. But I think, you know, when I when I when I think about the value of the High Republic, even just you know, regardless of all the cool lore and the interesting kind of um, opportunity to explore that part of Star Wars um, uh, timeline, you know, it's to me the High Republic always felt a little bit like potentially like you know uh, King Arthur you know and the Knights of the Round and this, and you know when you first meet Z she kind of carries that ethos of like oh things were wonderful and we were gallivanting around and you know of course that's not the truth that's a version of the truth and you know as we kind of come to discover with Dagon Tintari Cree every period of time is a complicated period of time and they're are terrible and wondrous forces at, at work, even in the High Republic. And so for us as storytellers, having this High Republic Jedi serve as a counterbalance to Cal, because Cal's, you know, his his entire childhood and his training was taken from him. And he found a mentor and seer. And I think to some extent he's still kind of searching for other mentors and guidance. And this opportunity of Dagon could have been this incredible window into the jedi order um of that time and instead it kind of it, it proves his cynicism um and the corruption of power which is you know uh awful for cow but great for storytelling oh yeah yeah, yeah. i mean he, he he bled a kyber crystal that was incredible yeah, to done. see um on screen and so like we actually got like that scene of him the 200 years of rage just pent up and <laughs> yeah 100 years of rage yep <laughs> first time we've seen a blood kyber crystal on screen so first time we've saw we've seen that uh, process i just love it he wakes up yeah it stretches a little bit and then he's like i have time to bleed my crystal get stretches with with one arm one with one arm of course yeah it's more like this <laughs> those were troubled dreams you have to imagine 200 years of troubled dreams yeah oh. and then waking up and being like oh the order's gone like everything the whole galaxy is different i mean that yeah such a cool yeah such a cool character to like explore that with 
I just have to ask, like with, with working with the higher public stuff, did you guys and the team like coordinate at all with any of the higher public authors? Obviously you went over all that source material, I imagine the novels and it's crazy though. Cause that's also new. Like it's all within the past two years. Mm -hmm. Right. So how did that process go? Uh, we work uh, hand in hand with LucasArts um, and they're awesome resources and the masters of obviously all things Star Wars. And so they're really helpful in guiding us in understanding kind of how and what we can use and um, often kind of suggesting things that will fit with uh, like the story we want to tell. So, um, so much of like uh, the stuff that we, we kind of used in the game um, was kind of a part of that collaboration. That's really yeah. cool. Speaking, speaking of collaborations and, you know, crossing over to other forms or other parts of the lore in Star Wars, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, featured the path like extensively. And that was one of my favorite things in that show was like, oh my God, the hidden path. Like I was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with this idea of like this, you know, secret uh, group of people who are just ferrying force sensitives under the nose of the empire. And I'm, you know, I'm really curious. I don't know if you'd be able to answer when Obi-Wan Kenobi takes place versus Jedi Survivor, if you guys have kind of parsed that out, whether or not it's before or after, I, I mean, I have my theories, but they can stay theories. <laughs> what are your, well, let's ask, what are your theories? My, my <laughs> theory is that Survivor is after Obi-Wan. I think when Vader shows up to Jeddah, he is reinvigorated. This is probably like right after he gets on the phone, gets off the phone with Palpatine uh, on Mustafar. Palpatine's like you know come on dude get get back on the horse and he's like all right I'm gonna go kill Seer and he hangs up the phone and then he heads out um that's my theory okay. probably do doesn't go exactly like that but it, pretty much I don't know uh, I'll but say that, that's an interesting theory <laughs> that, you know what that's close that's good enough but so did you did you guys work at all with because Obi-Wan Kenobi was probably in production at the same time this game was, right? Like you guys were probably writing these two things in tandem. Were you so you were working with Lucasfilm and they were kind of or LucasArts and they were kind of giving you this information from Kenobi as well? Um, yeah, generally it's a it's a collaboration, right? So it's important for everyone telling stories in the Star Wars universe to kind of um, understand kind of enough of what what crossover might exist. And I think, you know, with the hidden path, like um, it's such an interesting part of like I knew nothing about it. You know, I never, um, never kind of imagined that was. You know, when you're watching like say the original trilogy, you're kind of wondering, <laughs> you're, you're like you're peeking into like um, how how the, just the logistics of like how people escape an empire and and, and what have you. And so, getting the chance to kind of um, add to the the hidden path and its lore, and especially since um, both Seer and Marin kind of our champions of it. I think it just was a really natural uh, character fit and it kind of falls in line with Marin's um, kind of journey to the galaxy to kind of better understand herself. And so like how Marin is it to like essentially go on this like um, journey of discovery and find herself um, helping like save uh, refugees from the empire, right? Hmm. I love that. I love that. There, there's like, great. It's kind of like a side a, a sideline, but she's she's the one that says to see her that like discovered the hidden path. And like I love how it was due to Marin's travels that she found it. It was just a really cool moment. <laughs> um while we were on the topic of Seer, like what what were some of your favorite moments of Seer in this game? I mean, I could probably imagine the the part where you get to play as Seer for me <laughs> was just unbelievable. Like unreal i want to go replay it so badly um i gotta restart the game up and start to get to that point but like 
just that whole Jetta sequence and her just being on Jetta in general, like Matt here loves Jetta. Like we all like it, but Matt's like number one <laughs> Jetta fan. So I was like, I was waiting for him. He, like he said, he played it after us um, a bit. So I was waiting for him to get to that point. But like what, what went into, you know, the choosing Jetta for the place that, that Seer goes to and, um, and all that. <clears throat> um, I actually don't have the answer to that question because that was decided before I joined the team. Um, I think one thing that was, most interesting to me about um getting to write seer is the actor deborah wilson like is seer she's very wise and mystical <laughs> and on performance capture shoots like she she just embodied that character in this way that i've almost never seen an actor embody a character and um so like getting to see our scripts kind of come alive because of her was i mean kind of unreal i think in terms of jetta and your general question it's like it's a fascinating unknown for me because there's a lot of interesting kind of nebulous history about force users and revering uh, force users there. Um, and so that makes it a really cool place for the hidden path to kind of have a safe house. And, um, you know, if you've um, listened to any of the key echoes that you can find around Jetta, you get pieces of how the Narcus Anchorites and Seer met and kind of how everything came together. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of those examples of like, why I really love game writing is that like there's things that you can't fit into the main story, but we can sprinkle them out throughout Jetta. And there's some really uh, nice little lore tidbits, huh. tidbits and things like that that you can find uh, if you're if yeah you, if you look hard enough. Yeah, I, I yeah. found the uh, the isopters the isopters uh, echo, and yeah. I was I, and, oh, yeah. like I literally text again I texted him like this the head exploding I was like oh my god <laughs> isopters he's talking about the isopters. Yeah, we do our research. <laughs> oh no, yeah, it's, you definitely do. Definitely do. Spammels. That's oh all. Spammels. That's all I'll say. Spammels. Spammels. Love the spammels. <laughs> you beloved awkward creatures. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing because yeah. it's Tuesday and it's Turgle Tuesday. So. Oh, um, is that a thing? Yeah. That is. That we haven't is even talked about. We've gone 24 minutes and we haven't talked about Turgle. What's going on, y'all? Let's, guys, let's talk doing? about Turgle. All right. We're just trying to keep it tempered. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's fair. Uh, just uh, really quickly, aside from Turgle, because Turgle is fantastic, um, who was like your favorite character to write um, in Pylon Saloon? Oh man, um, I mean, they're all my children. I love them all. I think <laughs> one thing I think was really successful for the game, which was very difficult to pull off, which accredited an entire team, I just want to mention, not just writers, but narrative designers and animators, was that cantina. Like that's that's a yeah. fantasy in, in Star Wars that is not easy to meet and I think it's a product of just response collaboration across everything sound like the music in the cantina um so they the entire team makes our job as writers a lot easier when just that environment and everything just feels so quintessential cantina um I love all the characters I will say one character that kind of hits me personally is Moran um because um his character feels a little different and unexpected to me um and kind of this star wars canon um you know he's just <laughs> he's basically failed <laughs> as a as a traitor um there as you talk to him more um there's this deep sense of um suffering and grief that extends beyond just the empire to his personal relationships and he just kind of oozes cynicism and so um <laughs> And he's played by this actor, John Michael Tatum, who I, I've worked with before. And I, I just think um, Moran's character is 
he makes great points about the state of the galaxy, like counterpoints to, you know, like hope can save everything. And I just think um, how he came together was really gratifying and uh, not only a lot of good writing, but just a really great um, uh, delivery from our voice actor. And just, I, I don't know, I, I was just really happy with how he came out. He's in the back of the bar, so some people sometimes miss him, but I think he's got some really, really interesting stuff to say. Yeah, and he's like the first person I'd always talk to when I got up. Yeah, he was like, "What is this, <laughs> what is this jerk have to say about, about this?" Out of, it's like, out of all the characters, he probably had like the biggest arc because everyone yeah. else, you love everyone else the whole time, and he kind of is like starts off a little yeah. uh, salty and then gets nice. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have one other thing about the bar really quick. Um, so one of my favorite sure. things like in Star Wars is learning about in-universe music. And so like there's so much happening like with this and like we got so much of it in, in, um, in Fallen Order, but we got more in this. Um, recently, though, you were talking about uh, Kata's little lullaby there, Ghost Story or Ghost Star, excuse me. Um, how did that come about? Like, tell me the full story of Ghost Star, like at least what you can. Yeah, no, I can, I can tell I wrote it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, um, I thought this was always going to be a hard story to tell. There's a lot of reasons why, but I think one of them is just, it's a crushingly sad tragedy that Bode's story is a tragedy, right? It's this, it's the, he's a, he's a, the dark mirror of, of Cal, you know, he's who Cal could have become had certain things happened differently in um, his life. And this poor little girl who lost her mother when she was so young, who was on the run, who ended up um, living on an ISB base. You know, I mean, can you imagine what that's like? And um, the more you work with these characters, the more you start to kind of really just feel out on like a fundamental level. And um, we were in the final um, weeks of our performance capture shoot. We were recording um, the scenes uh, where Tajane Turner, who plays Kata, um, uh, joined us. and. You know, that that scene in Bode's Quarter like hit all of us, like writers, like director, actors, all of our staff, like everyone was just like pretty stunned by that scene. And as I was thinking of the scenes that would follow um, the confrontation on Tantalor, um, I just felt the need um, to, to give Kata something to hold on to. Um, something from her childhood that was um, not necessarily hopeful, although I think there are aspects of hope in the song, but just something to hold on to that um, that would be hers. And that song kind of came pretty organically out of my desire to give her a thing <laughs> that, uh, that she could treasure, um, a memento from her mom, something that connected their family. Um, that's, you know, it's, it's a, a little bit of a riff off of a song my mom used to sing me, uh, sing to me when I was a kid called Winkin' Blinkin' and Nod, which is this kind of like song about stars. And so I did kind of my stars take with, uh, with Ghost Star. And um, little did we know that Tajane Turner had an incredible, incredible voice. And uh, yeah, I mean, still, I mean, still kind of just blown away by how that all kind of came together. It's like one of my favorite moments in the game. and. I'm, I'm so excited yeah. it exists. For sure. Oh, that's that's just so cool. I love that. Um, yeah. I know we we probably got to wrap here in a minute. Uh, I I had one question I was going to ask at the beginning, but now that we have now that we have um, a little more time here at the end, uh, what we all love the Phantom Menace video game, like that's like that's <laughs> one of our favorite things. I don't know if you've played it. It's ridiculous. We love it. We've talked to those game developers as well. Um, 
But like, do you have a favorite like absurd uh, video, like Star Wars video game that you love from over the years? Um, wow, um, don't. I'll show my age a little bit, but I still remember playing like the Super Nintendo side scroller. Um, okay, okay. Way back in Super the day. Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> Super Star Wars. Of course, Super Star Wars. Um, the Return yeah, of the Jedi the one's best. great. Yeah, that's yeah. the best I am going to give you at this point. <laughs> hey, I like okay. that. Honestly, they really put you on the yeah. spot with it. <laughs> that was my first. Yeah, that was okay. my first Star Wars game, so I'll give you that. <laughs> okay, cool. For sure. Cool. Yeah, sometimes memories, you know, die hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you guys have any other questions as well, or? I, I mean, probably not a single but... turbo question, y'all. Are we? Are we kidding? Like, what's with the well, I mean, okay. or scuba stuff. <laughs> I was. I oh, that's a great scuba, question. Scuba, scuba stuff or turbo? Yeah. Actually, yes, scuba stuff. So, um, <laughs> the best fishermen out there have these like wild like stories. I love. I loved everything about scuba stuff. But um, where did he come from? And like, just where did scuba stuff come from? And like, how did this come to be? Scuba Stev is the brainchild of an incredibly talented narrative designer on our team named Cole Sweeney, who is not only a designer who basically put the cantina together, but also wrote the grand majority of Scuba Stev. And oh. he found this voice and just went for it in the most like usually in game writing like it's all about brevity and you know endless revisions but with scuba stuff like the joy of it was just hearing these yarns keep going and going and uh cole just found a bit of magic you know oh my god there's a I, there was a point in the game where i'm about to go to dag and gara and confront him in the in the in the sky for the final time the, the big finale for this for this plot point and I find Scuba just on the way there. And I talked to him for like 20 minutes. I just sat there <laughs> listening to the story as this like big epic moment is about to happen. And I'm just like, oh, tell me more. And I, I, just, I thought that was like such a perfect way to, to continue my story. Because I'm always that kind of guy that loves the background characters. We all are really. Oh, yeah. Like the game was phenomenal on its own, but Scuba Stev put it he over the Steph. top. And I'm not even joking. Like the, he was no, so like, good. He, he just put a smile here. I thought we'd have a few turtle, turtles in the crowd, but okay. Okay. I see you. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Stev heads. <laughs> look, look. When when we have like a podcast that's named Holland at Marauders, it's about yeah. pirates. We're going to lean yeah, towards the guy that's, that's pretty much a pirate. <laughs> so. Although, That's like, Turtle, Turtle could be a pirate if he really wanted well, to. Let's be real. Like Turtle claims he was a pirate. That's part of yeah. his backstory. He claims a lot he's of got some he's, he's, uh... he's the greatest outlaw. Greatest pirate. Yeah. The greatest okay. okay, Turtle. <laughs> I do love Turtle. Yeah, no, I need to do yeah. it, for sure. No, I, I can't think of anything. Oh, I think sure. we got really I through do, all of I, I do have one, but... Jamie has one. Go James, James. I have one. Um, Master Cordova. Uh... He oh. wasn't dead this entire time. What? Oh my god! When I say my jaw dropped, like I was not expecting that at all. Um, so what was it like uh, writing for Master Cordova, who actually um, was not dead? <laughs> I mean, that opening scene where you meet him at the edge of Sears Base was like for me like one of the highlights of my career. Just seeing that palpable joy that I knew. Every everyone was going to feel like I was feeling. I mean, and I think uh, Tony, the actor is, he's got that gravitas that um, you could have him read anything and he would make it sound so incredibly powerful. And so the scenes with Cordova were, I mean, they were just a joy to write. You, you know, as a writer, you, 
you certain you certain you develop a certain sense of confidence when you get to know actors and we could have given him anything and he would have been the most beautiful wise man delivering it um heartbreaking obviously uh with how events unfold but i i um we were able to get a series of echoes in um some of the jedi kind of like challenges you can find and that was for us kind of a swan song for uh cordova and i i don't know if y'all played through that stuff or not but i think that was um really meaningful for us as writers to to get to write because it was kind of our message to um the cow and to players um that cordova um will always kind of be looking out for us uh, definitely going to go back and make sure I find yeah. all of those echoes. And of course, everybody's been talking about Qui-Gon. That story with Qui-Gon was just awesome. Yeah. So yeah. That's all I got, guys. That was it. That was the last question. And that's it. Happy Turgle Tuesday, even if it's probably not Tuesday when you're watching this, but one out of the seven days, it might actually be Turgle Tuesday, whatever. Thank you again, Respawn and Lucasfilm for allowing us to have this chance to chat with Danny. Thank you, Danny, for chatting with us this past week on our show. And then you can find the Holland at Marauders everywhere on social media at Holland at Marauders. On Twitter, it is just at Holland at Marauder. If you've been watching this video version of the podcast, it's usually not like this. Usually we're like separated out, but it's very cool. Um, if you've been watching the video version, you can take the audio version to go with you on on your favorite audio listening platform for podcasts if you've been listening to the audio version of this you can check out the video version as well on our youtube channel youtube.com slash marauders or just at Holland marauders we'll see you next time on the Holland marauders podcast <laughs>